Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Hey, um, this is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Glad you guys made it out today. And uh, I just want to take a few minutes, first of all, to remind you guys that this is the Easter season, and this is a great opportunity for us in several ways. Number one, to serve. Guys, if you can help us, and you can see Pastor Sean in the back after service, we're having our outdoor service next week in the park across the street. And so we need some service to come help us set up a little bit, come help us do some things. So if you're available to come a little earlier and want to help us do that and, and jump and help the team and get there, because, you know, a lot of hands make the work light. Um, see Pastor Sean in the back. Sean, raise your hand in the back at the Welcome Center. Just say, hey, I'm available. Go sign up so we could know. Because we, we have guys coming as early as uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, get the stage set up, get things happening, get things moving. And, uh, and so, number one, there's a great opportunity to service. Number two, that's the first S. Number two, S, share. This is a great time to share about the season with people. And people are really open to the Easter season. So I want to encourage you to maybe look at an opportunity where you can just invite somebody to come to church, come to Easter service, come out and be a part of what's happening next Sunday. Because most people want to be invited to something. And so I want to encourage you to take the moment and seize the moment to invite somebody to come to service. We're going to be out the park and uh, bring your chairs, bring your laundry, kind of have a picnic kind of concept or idea, keeping it simple. And uh, we're going to have things for the kids there, uh, Easter egg hunt, all that's going on right across the street to, uh, next Sunday. So invite somebody to, to come out and, and do that. And we're going to share a little bit more of you've been watching online with what we've been doing with the essential workers. Uh, pray for us as Sean and I have been going into, and we'll be going into working with the, the doctors and nurses, just blessing them with some things. We're going to be going in there. He, Sean was this week doing that, and he'll be doing that next week with me, and we're going to go in and just bless some people there. But we'll share more about that after, after Easter, what God has done with that. Hey, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be doing a study through that next couple of gatherings. My message, my sermon series title is The Resurrection Hope. The resurrection hope. And we're look at that the resurrection is our hope this morning. I know every time you celebrate a holiday season or, or something, you know that um, just like any other season, and this is the Easter season, guys, we know that commercialism sometimes will take away from the meaning of the season. And this Easter season ain't any different, right? The Easter bunny and the eggs have all arrived. Now, do you know that bunnies don't, hatch eggs, don't have eggs, they're in mammals. I just wanted to throw that out to you because sometimes we think that, and you can do some research on that, okay? But one of the favorite things during this season is the marshmallow peeps. You know what I'm talking about? The marshmallow peeps, right? Those marshmallow treats. A few weeks ago, somebody gave me some hot tamale marshmallow peeps. Like, like you're like, what? Like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, they gave it to me because I love those hot Marshmallow, hot tamale candies. I love those things. Well, they brought the heart, you know, the marshmallow peeps out. But this week, this week, Pepsi came out with a special edition of Pepsi Peep Soda. I'm not joking. Pepsi Peep Peep Soda, a marshmallow flavored soda. They call it liquid candy. 
And you, you can't buy the storage. It's like a special order. It's like a special thing they're doing, but it's out. Guys, what have we come to, right? We have taken the picture of the suffering death and the cold tomb and replaced it with chocolate bunnies and buried marshmallow birdies. We have placed the resurrection story with marshmallow treats you can drink. Remember, nothing in this world, nothing in this world offers us can satisfy us. Remember, Jesus was crucified, risen, and is coming again. He is and will always be the only true satisfaction for our hope and cravings today. I can only imagine the words of Jesus if he was living in our day. He probably would say this, everyone who drinks Pepsi Peep soda will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, whether I give them, whatever water I give them, they'll become the springs of water welling up in eternal life. Guys, I wanted to start this sermon series uh, for the next two Sundays called Resurrection Hope. And we're going to be studying and looking through 1 Corinthians. So if you want to study that this week and the next week, we're going to be looking through 1 Corinthians during the Passion Week. The resurrection is the key to the doctrines of our faith, the teachings of our faith. And everything we believe and do is because of the work of the cross. The resurrection is the heart of the gospel. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the hope of the resurrection. Friday, I want to eventually come out to Canto Friday night because we're going to be looking at how the resurrection defeated the work of the enemy. And next Easter, we're going to celebrate with us as we look at the hope of our own resurrection. And so we're going to journey through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in this week. And I'm praying that God will stir up this hope in you. As we've been battling all this crazy season, we still have hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in his resurrection. Our hope is what he's done for us on the cross. And I want to challenge you this morning as we look at that, that you would be encouraged by the words of Christ. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your blessings, for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians, talking about the resurrection hope. Father, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that we have a focal point. We, we know who we follow. We know who we worship, and we know what he's done for us. And so this morning, I pray your Holy Spirit would teach us, your Holy Spirit would direct us, your Holy Spirit would guide us this morning. Father, may we be strengthened in the faith as we look at your death, burial, and resurrection today. May your name be glorified and may you be magnified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. We're going to look at three things uh, this morning. The first one is this. The resurrection is a message of hope. A Sunday school teacher had just finished telling her third graders about how Jesus was crucified and placed in a tomb with a great stone ceiling at its opening. Then wanted to share the excitement about the resurrection, she asked, and what do you think were Jesus' first words when he came bursting out of the tomb alive? And a hand shot up of this little girl, shot up, and she, and she said, amen. And she said, what, what was the first words? And the little girl stood up right before all, right before the teachers, and threw up right and said, ta-da! <laughs> I can only imagine... I know that as Jesus came out of the tomb, there were many, many that met him at the tomb, Mary Magdalene and, and even Peter, all of them saw. But I can only imagine the burst that came out of the tomb, the excitement that happened in that. Paul said this about the resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Read that in Philippians 3.10. And so first of all, this message of the resurrection, this message of hope, first of all, we find in verse one and two is a message of hope is what we stand on is what we stand on. Look at one and two. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, 
by which also you are saved if you hold fast the words which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. First of all, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. He's speaking to the brethren here, he says. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. He's speaking to the church. That is his audience. Guys, I want to speak to the New Vision Fellowship, the New Vision family this morning, because I want to speak to the household of God. As Paul has been writing this letter, he's speaking to the household of God. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage the household of God this morning. And as Paul is reminding the Corinthian church, he wants to remind us this morning, the church here this morning, about our saving faith, about our saving forth faith. He is, he is, what he's doing here is he's strengthening the foundation of the church because the church was built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's strengthening their foundation because there needs to be a foundation of our faith in order to build on. And so he's building the assurance of their faith this morning. Amen. See, your saving faith in Christ proves the resurrection. Your testimony, your life change proves the resurrection. The church proves in its gathering the resurrection. And the gospel is the foundation of the faith for the church. The church not being this building, we've seen that in the last year and a half. The church is his people. It's us, we're the church. And so Paul is declaring here this morning, he's trying to make known this morning the gospel, the, the good news that he preached. And we know that in his writings here, he says when he preached this good news, when he declared it, they received it. They believed it. They received it and they were saved by it. He's, he's talking about their, their salvation. He's talking about their faith. He received it. He, they accepted it as a gift. When, when we proclaim the gospel, one of the greatest things that we can do is that people can receive our words, receive the hope, and they received the gospel. They accepted the gift of grace by faith. And not only did they receive it, they stood on it. The word stand there means they, they established or to make immovable. You, they, they've held their ground. They, they put down their stakes. They were steadfast in their minds. They were convinced and committed after they received it. They, they held their ground on it. They were immovable. And in that, they were saved, right? They were rescued from danger and destruction. And he's saying, this gospel I'm gonna preach, this one I shared to you, guys, you, you got it. You, 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 you committed to it. You're holding on to it. In the midst of all the craziness that's going on today, the gospel is what's grounded us. The resurrection of hope is what grounded us. And you're, listen, Paul said, in your, vein, your, your, your faith is not in vain. It's not in faith. It, you know, faith isn't wishful thinking, I, I hope it works out. That's not, that's not the faith that we have. It's, it's, we're not to have the faith like the de demons believe, right? They believed in God, yet they're without salvation. They're without saving faith. The faith that we believe in, guys, this faith, it sanctifies us. It sanctifies us. In fact, in the ESV version, it translates the word saved as the process of salvation. As the process of salvation. We are justified by faith. We are sanctified, and then we are glorified. We come to faith, we're justified by faith, just as we've, we've never committed sin, we come, and that's when we accept it. 
We're sanctified. There's a process of purification. There's a process in this walk that we do. And then we're glorified when we're in heaven when we get this new body, which we'll talk about next week, next Sunday, on Easter Sunday. We talk about our own glorification and the hope of that. And they held, they held on to this word. They held fast to this word. That word means they abided in the good news and they rested in their salvation. And all the crazy that's gone on in this year, little over a year, that's our hope and that's our anchor, right? See, the, what is the message of hope? The message of the hope is the resurrection. You see that in verse three and four. For I delivered to you, I declared to you, for I delivered you first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. I love that phrase, right? Paul is saying, I'm declaring with you the very thing that I received. I'm declaring to you the very thing that I received and I stand on and I am saved by. You know what? The gospel, this resurrection hope, the resurrection of Jesus is meant to be given away. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be declared. Guys, we're not to be closet Christians, but our faith is to be declared out to the world, to go into all the world and declare. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, at, I'm not telling something to you that I haven't experienced myself. I'm not telling you something new. I'm telling what God has done with me and I'm declaring it to you. That's the gospel. That's, that's what we're called to do as a church. He says, first of all, in that passage, if you look at that there, first of all, all that which I receive, first of all, this is the first and foremost important. He's, he's trying to lay the groundwork here about the gospel. But he says, the gospel, according to the scriptures, he actually says that phrase twice. Because he wanted to, us to capture his thinking. Paul's writing wanted us to catch the thinkings that Christ died and was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. What scriptures is he talking about? Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. What we're reading in Corinthians hadn't been written yet. When he talks about the gospel, I believe he's sharing the gospel through the Old Testament. He's preaching through the Old Testament. He would have referenced Psalm 16. He would have referenced Psalm 22, Isaiah 52 and 53. He was the suffering Messiah. He would have been, that was to be mocked and beaten and who would see no corruption. In fact, even Jesus referenced the Old Testament in light of the resurrection in Matthew 12, 40. For us, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We only have to look at the Passover story in the, in the book of Exodus and the, and the sacrificial practices throughout the Old Testament to see the foreshadow things of what was to come. We only have to look at the story of Abraham and and Isaac, when he takes his son on a mountain to sacrifice, go sacrifice your only son. And he, he takes him up and he's ready to sacrifice, but God makes way and provides a way, provides a, a ram in the thicket. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. He will provide. And I can only imagine the story when, when he's walking with his son and he has the fire, he has the, the wood, and, and the son asks, where's, where's the sacrifice, Father? God will provide. And they go up and he goes through with obedience. And God stops the knife and he provides a, a lamb. And he, even on the way up, he tells the servant, the boy and I are going to return. 
by faith. We know Hebrews says that he believed that his son was going to be resurrected if he was to take his life. He believed that because Hebrews speaks about that, that Isaac would resurrect, that God would resurrect him because it was through his line the king would come. We look at this story, the Abraham and Isaac story is a, a picture of what was to come. But he died for a purpose and he resurrected for a purpose. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Sin kills, for the wages of sin is death. Sin separates, sin destroys. I believe the reason he died, God sent his son to die, was because he loved us and he hated sin. He hated sin. And he hated us, he hated being separated from his creation. He hated. He, he hated being separated from the Imago Dei, from those created in the image of God. He, he hated that. And so he gave himself up for that. And he became the substitute. He, he stood in our position and he made the payment for our sin. And 1 Peter 2.24 reminds us that he himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree. That we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By those stripes you are healed. Again, referencing back to Isaiah the prophet. By his stripes we are healed. And you have to understand that this message of hope was seen by all. This message of hope was seen by all. You see that in verses five through seven. It says, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once and of whom the greater part remains the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Paul made a note in his writing that there was numerous eyes that witnessed the resurrection. He wanted people to know that. First Peter and the other disciples, because we know that there was a requirement to be an apostle that you had to see Jesus. You had to be with Jesus and see Jesus. He mentioned that over 500 eyewitnesses. Can you imagine the evangelism and sharing that went out after the witnessing? After they witnessed the resurrection, those 500 probably went out and told about the resurrection. Because later we know in Acts 1.8, it commands us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. After we witness it, we have to be witnesses. He even mentions James, the half-brother of Jesus, who hindered Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 6 because he didn't believe, but later becomes to faith, becomes a leader in the early church, and he authored the book of James. There were testimonies of many who saw the resurrection of Jesus. And they would let her be witnesses. And they could testify about what they have seen. And they've seen the work of Christ. So there's a message here. The message of hope. But number two, guys, this morning. The resurrection hope transforms lives. The resurrection hope transforms lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11. In fact, legend has it that Benjamin Franklin wrote his own epitaph. And it reads like this. The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the work here shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, edition corrected and amended by the author. Sadly, Benjamin Franklin wasn't a believer, but yet he had a deep sense of the resurrection. But in the end, there was no words of a grand resurrection. Listen, it's not enough to know about the resurrection. 
one must know the one who rose. For this is eternal life to believe in him, the son. We celebrate, you can easily celebrate this Easter season without knowing the one we're celebrating. It can easily be that. But God came to, to transform lives. And so Christ's death and resurrection was hope for the lost. Look at verse 8 and 9. Then the last of all, he was seen by me also, and by, and by one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Right? See, the resurrection changes us. It changes you. It changes me. Right? It changed Paul. Paul's giving his little testimony about this resurrection, how his life was changed, how his life was transformed, how his life was resurrected. He says, I was a persecutor of the church. I, I caused harm to God's bride. I was a, a violent man and consented to Stephen's death. We read that in Acts chapter 7. Yet this, yet Paul met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the road to Damascus. He had a close encounter with Jesus. <laughs> he had a personal encounter with Jesus. Some of us can speak, can remember the days that we had that close encounter with Jesus. Some of us can remember those days when God spoke to us, revealed who he was, and it was a miraculous moment in our life. Some of us may not have had that moment. Some of us may have grown up in the church and, and we've come to learn and trust by faith. that Everybody has their different moments. But Paul had one that knocked him off his high horse as he rode into Damascus and a light shone and Jesus is speaking. Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the gold? Why are you persecuting my church? And he was baptized in the ministry with blindness. But he later came to see who Christ really was. Interesting phrase he says in this passage here, born out of due time. In fact, the word born translates untimely birth or miscarriage or even the word abortion, right? What was Paul coming across when he's using this phrase? He's saying this. Paul was saying, my birth, my spiritual birth was un unexpected and freakish. What he was saying is, think about it for a moment. Paul was a, a Pharisee. He was a religious man. He had power. He had prestige. He was a rabbi. Everybody looked to him. Everybody wanted to be like him. And for him to come to faith, it blew everybody out of the water. It was like, whoa, that, that, that one caught me off guard. I think a lot of people say that about you. You were a freakish person that got born again. Right? You were, you're crazy. I, I don't What? That guy's religious? Now he's going to church. He's what? You're the last person I think would follow Jesus. Because they know your past. They know who you are. See, that's the power of the resurrection here. That's what Paul was saying here. Never underestimate how God can change the heart of somebody. You're, you've been praying for your family members. You've been praying for your friends. They're like, man, these guys are hard. I don't know, Lord. I don't know what you need to do. But never underestimate the power of prayer, the power of the word, the power of influence, the power of what God can do. He'll change the heart of men. That's the power of the resurrection. But it also did something in Paul's life. Not only was it transforming, it humbled him. It humbled him. He says he was an apostle. He described him as an apostle. What is an apostle? Apostles means a sent out one. An apostle has the gift of starting things and creating things out of nothing. 
apostles maybe church planners uh, I feel like I have an apostolic nature and stuff that I've done over the years of ministry where I could take things and, and take things from nothing and build things out of. That's that apostolic nature. A lot of these apostolic people can create things and ministries and birth things into play. That's apostolic. He says, I'm a, I'm a least of the apostles. I'm a least of the sent out ones. I realized this about my own life and I see it in the writings of scriptures. You look at life of Paul. The further he journeyed in his walk with God, the further he, the more he saw his own darkness. Because if you look at his writings, I don't want to say that darkness is a bad one. I'm saying he saw how, 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 how the na- his own nature was in light of, of who Christ was. And I think he understand grace deeper. He understand love deeper. He understand the atonement deeper. He understood the cross deeper. He understood the resurrection deeper because as he grew older, he said, God, man, I'm so wretched man that I, we looked at Romans chapter seven, right? A wretched man who could save this. He understood it and he valued the resurrection. He valued the atonement. He, he valued the cross. And if you look at his life, he said, I'm the least of the Christians of Philippians 3. I'm the chief sinners of 1 Timothy 1.5. I'm not even worried to be numbered among the apostles. Yet he understood grace. He understood love. He understood mercy. I think the further along in our walk, I would hope you would understand that a little deeper. How much God loved you and saved you. But Christ's death and resurrection was not in vain. Look at verses 10 and 11. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was, was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Paul's salvation was a pure act of God's love and grace. Pure act of God's love and grace. The persecutor became the persecuted, right? And he suffered for the faith. But God's grace was not in vain. His grace wasn't wasted. His grace wasn't wasted. And what do you see here? You see faith and works working together through grace. James would write about faith and works later as he saw it through the life of Paul. And now we see Paul redirected his energy for the kingdom. And he has a resurrected life. And now he's serving the chief rabbi, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and following him. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul would write, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Paul is laying down his life and serving because he understands God's love and grace. And he realizes that he's a part of a team that preached Christ and his resurrection. Whether I or others tell, Christ is being preached, right? I don't care if it's me or others, but I beseech you to be reconciled to to God is what Paul writes. I beseech you to to come in this relationship with Jesus. This is what changed Paul's life. This is what changed our life. And he's expressing God's saving grace to others. That's what this whole season really is with the focus, pointing people back to the resurrection. If you study all the book of Acts, the history of the church, and every sermon that is preached in the book of Acts includes the resurrection. Includes the resurrection. Galatians 1, 5 and 6, he says, but when it pleased God, this is Paul talking about his own testimony, but when it pleased God who was separated from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Called from the womb. 
called from the beginning. God's calling you. He's been calling you. Whether you're here today or you're online, God is speaking to you right now. He's calling you to come to this relationship because he wants to do this great work in you. He wants to, in this resurrection season, he wants to resurrect some hope. He wants to resurrect some creative ideas. He wants to resurrect some vision. He wants to resurrect some families. He wants to resurrect some relationships. And he wants to birth it in you. If you come by faith to him, then he begins to do this great work in you. And Paul says, this work he's put in my life from... God had plans before I even knew it, before I was in my mother's womb. Before the foundations of the earth, he created you for good works, Ephesians 2.10. Yet we've walked away some things. We're like sheep have gone astray. We want to do our own work. But you know what, God? God's a pursuing God. That's why he went to the cross, to draw us back to him. And he went after Paul, and he's gone after you because he wants us to do a good work. But lastly, without the resurrection, we have no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19 and 29 to 32. I think Easter can be a, a troubling time for some. The idea that of Jesus' resurrection, some would rather ignore it, eat chocolate bunnies and paint eggs. Some would rather make up theories about it, the swoon theory, all these crazy theories we know of. They avoid the conversation about the resurrection Remember when you were in a public gathering, there was this underlining rule that you never talked about religion or politics, and the only thing certain in life was death and taxes. It reminded me about a Roman soldier looking at an open tomb and speaking to one of his other soldiers saying this, now the only thing certain is taxes. Jesus' life was marked by two impossibilities. Two impossibilities. A virgin's womb, and an empty tomb. Jesus' life was marked by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Listen, without the resurrection, our message is empty. Without the resurrection, our message is empty. Look at 12 to 16. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And yes, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead are not rise, for if the dead do not rise, Christ is not risen. Let me give you some context to what's going on here. We know that Paul is writing to this Corinthian church that had its own issues. And Corinth was, was a, a Greek city with and had, when they heard about the resurrection, many didn't believe it. In fact, they mocked it, and they laughed at that thought. Corinth was known as a party city, and there was this Epicurean philosophy that had influence in that culture, and they believed that there was no eternity. Eat and drink and be merry was their philosophy, because that's all there was in this life. And we see this thought might have influenced the church here. That's why he's saying, why are you saying there's no resurrection? Even some of the religious groups didn't believe in the resurrections. The, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. And Paul's addressing some of the issues of the people in the church who are saying that there was no resurrection. It's, it's kind of scary because what you're seeing here is that maybe cultures influence the church rather than the church influencing culture. Maybe the words on the street is having more impact on the church than the church is having an impact on the streets. 
Maybe, maybe the, the, this, this culture, this, this Greek culture, this, this postmodern culture is having more influence on the church than it is the church having on its culture. And so Paul is dressing it. Maybe there's this Gnostic thought going on when it talked about that the body is evil and the spirit is good. So it's impossible for the body to be resurrected if the body is evil. And if there's no resurrection Christ, then Christ is dead, then we have a problem with our faith. We have a problem today. If Christ is not risen, then there is no hope for our resurrection and our message is empty, it's impotent, and it has no power. See, you can't have living faith in a dead Savior. And we will be just like any other religion. Jesus would just be numbered with all the other gods. If there is no resurrection, we are, we are a false religion. And if Christ is not risen, we are false witnesses. And our words are empty if there is no resurrection. Number two, without the resurrection, our faith is futile. And if 17 and 8, 19, if, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men the most, we are all of us, we are all of all men the most pitiable. See, without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without the resurrection, we have the word. Our faith is useless, it's pointless, and we are still in our mess. We, we don't have an answer for our mess. And we have no means to pay the debt for our mess. We have insufficient funds to cover the debt. There is no resurrection. Jesus didn't defeat death, and death still reigns, and death still has power over us. If, if there is no resurrection, all that died, who died before us, who had fallen asleep before us, have perished. If there's no resurrection, this Christian life is a joke. There's no resurrection. What we do here is a waste of time if there's no resurrection. Spurgeon said this, if Jesus rose and the gospel is what it professes to be, if he rose not from the dead, then it is all deceit and delusion. But lastly, without the resurrection, there's no hope for the future. Look at 29 to 32. Otherwise, will, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If the manner of men, I have fought the beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You read that and you're like, man, this is like without hope, Right? Verse 29 and 30, without hope, we can endure the coming trials and tribulations of life without hope, without the resurrection. It talks about baptism there and, and, and baptism for the dead. That's always been a challenging passage for many people. And what does this mean, right? He's not talking in a sense about baptizing dead or water baptism. The Mormons got it wrong on this passage because they baptized for the dead. That's not what he's talking about here. First of all, the baptism, we know that baptism in the Greek means to be immersed, 
to be baptized, to be dunked, right? First of all, he's saying here that this baptism we practice, this baptism that we do is a sign of his resurrection, right? We identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. First of all, look, at we baptize here because it's a, it points to the resurrection, our own resurrected life, but it points to his resurrection, and it's affirming and it's proclaiming the gospel. When you get baptized, you're preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. And so what that means is we're preaching the gospel. So it's pointing to the resurrection. That's why we do it, number one. But number two, I think it also is pointing to the fact that they were going through trials and difficulties. Because he's, remember, he's, he's talking about this baptism, and then he talks about the, the, the aspect of persecution. Paul is saying, you have been baptized or you've been immersed in difficult times and difficulties and persecution. Why does he use the word here, we stand in jeopardy every hour? There was trials, there was difficulties, there were hard times, there were tribulations. We enter the kingdom through tribulation, the scripture says. They were feeling the heat of their faith and people were being persecuted in their faith. In fact, you remember when James and John came to Jesus? Some, one thousand James and John came, another passage says that his mother came, Miss Zebedee, James and John Zebedee, and asked if Jesus, if they could sit on the throne with Jesus to his right hand and to his left. Can you imagine that? Hey, can I come and sit at your throne, Jesus, James and John? And what, how did Jesus respond? Can you go through the same baptism that I'm going to go through? What do you say? Are you willing to go through the same death that I'm willing to go through? Are you still going to be willing to go through the same trials and tribulations and hardship and homelessness and beatings and struggle like I'm going to go through? That's what he was saying. Be careful what you ask for. Are you willing to go through the same baptism? The baptism of suffering. The baptisms of difficulty. The baptisms of hardship. Listen. The hope, this resurrection hope helps us get through the trials. How do we get through COVID? How do we get through the craziness of this last year? It's our hope in Christ and his resurrection and who he is. Also, Christ's death and resurrection gives us strength to die daily. To die daily. Paul got strength from Christ's resurrection. He was willing to die daily, it says here. I die daily, he says. He took up his cross and followed Christ. And even unto death. Historically, we don't read it in the Bible, but historically he got his head cut off. He got his head cut off. And the resurrection gives us strength to endure and to persevere. The perseverance of, perseverance of the saints. Guys, we're called to persevere. We're going to go through difficulties. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through the fire. You're going to go through the fire and not get burned. You're going to go through the floods and not drowned. That's the perseverance of the saints. If there's no resurrection, verse 32, of Christ, no hope, there's no hope for the future. There's no hope for the future. For let us just party, for tomorrow we die. That was the attitude, right? The Epicurean thought, philosophy there. Paul in verse 32 is referencing an event that we read about back in the books of Acts 19 when there was riots taking place, when Demetrius the silversmith was coming against God's people, coming against the gospel, and there was this riot, and they were praising the, the God of Diana, and they were stirring up trouble and rioting and, and persecuting people. You know what? People can be beastly. <laughs> against the gospel, and we can feel the presence of their bite. Presence of their bite. 
What advantage is all my efforts of the gospel and laying my life down if there's no hope for the future resurrection? But people could be mean and beastly. I don't know if you watched, been watching the March Madness thing. I, I'm a sports guy, so I watch it. Somebody say no. But Oral Roberts was just um, in the Sweet 16. Didn't make it. They lost by two points yesterday. But the LA Times wrote an article about this team and about the school. I don't know if you read about it. But they were blasting the school saying, we need to take them out of the NCAA tournament because of their religious stance on a whole bunch of cultural issues. They're bigots. They're hate mongers. They're, what he's doing is coming against theological things in scriptures that they stood out against and, they, and what the school represents. But because they were believing that and they were in this NCAA tournament, they were hate mongers and that they shouldn't participate in the tournament. Be careful what you're hearing, guys. It was a great, I love Ed Stelter. He wrote in response to, he's a, he's a dean at, at Wheaton College, Christian College, very well-known theologian. Said there are a lot of other believers on the other teams that have a lot of the same views. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was biting. There's still hope in the March Madness because Baylor's in, that's a Christian school, Baylor's in there, they're seat number one, so you're watching the game. Listen, their philosophy of life is YOLO, you only live once, right? Eat, party, for, and then we just become worm food, right? Live for today because there's no tomorrow. That's really the thought of our day. Get all you can now because there is no tomorrow. There is no afterlife, right? I think the reason why people are so fearful today this last year is because I think a lot of people think that this is all there is. <laughs> and so they, if I die, I lose all this. I lose what I have. I, they don't believe that there's an afterlife. They don't believe there's a resurrection life. We're going to get into that next week. I'm telling you what the, why we, this message of the resurrection is hope and then why there's no hope for some people and what it doesn't. But we're going to get to that next Sunday, our hope of our own resurrected bodies next Sunday. But I want to tell you, there's hope in the message of the resurrection. We have resurrection hope. This season is to stir us up to this and strengthen our faith. Amen. So I leave you back with these three thoughts as we're going to partake of communion. Number one, the resurrection is a message of hope. The resurrection is a message of hope. Number two, the resurrection hope transforms our lives. It changes us. And lastly, without the resurrection, we have no hope. We ought to be most pitied. But we have hope in the work of the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection. And as we move into this week, that's the message we proclaim. You want to know what the gospel message is? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. There's your gospel message. That's what you share according to the scriptures. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. And Lord, I pray uh, this morning as we're being equipped with your gospel messages, we're being equipped with this resurrection hope, Lord, this week, uh, Father, we can celebrate what you've done. But not only celebrate it, Lord, we want to share it. We want to communicate it to others. We want to invite others that they would be able to hear about this hope that they can have. Father, you came out of the tomb when you resurrected. Father, I want to pray that people's resurrection, get them out of their own isolation, out of their own tombs, out of, out of their own houses, out of their own things, that they can keep their eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of their faith, Lord. 
So Lord, I pray this morning for this week, for your family, for this community, Lord. Father, you give us boldness in this season to proclaim this resurrection hope, to invite and to bless. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.